Brian Ministries International presents Todd Talks, featuring Todd Edwards. Amen. <clears throat> thank you, Tony. And thank you, everyone, for being here. Uh, yes, I did share with Dan and Christian a little bit about where we're going. You guys can imagine where we're going. We're finishing up Isaiah 60, and then beginning one of the most important and well-known passages in Scripture, the beginning of Isaiah 61. And there's a lot to say. There's a lot to dig into. Um, However, God decided to turn it upside down on me uh, just this morning on how we're going to approach it. And when God gives us direction, or if you're in a business or you are setting up um, your family direction. You, you start with, Father, where are we going? Where, where is the direction that we're going? What's the goal? What's the purpose? What's the objective? And then once you have that established, then you start laying out the roadmap on how to get there. And that's what we're going to do today because Isaiah 61 is one of those passages that I've realized is from the past. It's from the present. It is in the present. And it is in the future all at once. However, we need to understand if we're going to take a look at that kind of approach for Isaiah 61, where are we going? Where is the, the end goal And we know being outside of time that the end goal is today. So that's also something that we have to wrap our heads around, that the goal that will be is. So keep that in mind. We left off on a somewhat awkward transition in Isaiah 60. And that's going to, that last verse that we left off on, the next one that we're getting into, will launch us into what we're about to do. So off we go. Get ready. Isaiah 60, verse 14, is where we stopped and we did not get to. Isaiah 60, verse 14. The the sons also of them that afflicted you shall come bending unto you, and all they that despise you shall bow themselves down at the soles of your feet. And remember going back to verse 1 in Isaiah 60, Arise, shine, for the light has come, your light has come, and the glory of Yahuwah has risen upon you. And we talked about who is Isaiah talking to right now? Who is this about? And some people said, well, it's us. Some people said, well, it's Zion. And the answer is yes. And we're going to see how even more so that us and Zion are one in the same in different ways. So now Isaiah 60, verse 14, and I stopped purposefully right there in the middle of the verse because it's the sons of them that afflicted you, Zion, you, Tony, you, Todd, will come bending unto you. They that despise you, me, Zion, shall bow themselves down at the soles of your feet. And now we know exactly who he's talking to. And they shall call you, Zion, you, Todd, you, 
bride tribe, you, everyone here, you, the remnant, you, the faithful, they shall call you the city of Yahuwah, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. That's why all of Isaiah is about Zion. Because it's about us. It's about our Redeemer. It's about our Savior. It's about the marriage. It's about our Creator and our relationship with Him as Zion. So now let's go and set where we're going, which is where we are. (laughs) And keep that in mind. We usually go back to Genesis in reference. This time we're going the other way. We're going to Revelation. Revelation chapter 21. This is going to set the stage for Isaiah 61. And you'll see this ties in completely, even though it was not orchestrated by either me or Dan. It was orchestrated by the Holy Spirit. This ties in with living stones completely, totally, perfectly. Revelation 21. And let's think through the the course of events in the last days, in the timing of this. So Revelation 21 is after Revelation 5 through 18 which is the seals, which is the trumpets, which is the vials. This is after. This is after Revelation 19, when the host of heaven and all the remnants are with Yeshua as he is on his horse and judgment has happened. This is after. This is after Revelation 20, when he describes the millennial kingdom very briefly, and then talks about Satan being loosed afterwards, and then being thrown into the lake of fire. It's after all these things. This is Revelation 21. So this is where we're going, but also where we are. And keep that in mind. Revelation 21, verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And there was no more sea. I'm not going to comment a lot here because I want to just read through it. So you can, we can all kind of feel this in that context. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem come down from Elohim out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So the new city, New Jerusalem, Zion, the holy city is the bride. And it's adorned, and we're going to see what it's adorned with. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of Yahuwah is with men, 
and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. That's language for reference to Israel, of which we are. And Yahuwah shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, which means death has been thrown into the lake of fire by now. Neither sorrow, neither crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these things are true and faithful. They have to be placed into our hearts and locked in. Be locked into a place where there's going to be in Zion with God no more death, no more pain, no more suffering. The sayings are true and faithful. He's spoken it, it is, and it exists now. Verse 6, and he said to me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst, the fountain of the water of life freely, without measure is what he's saying. He that overcomes, because it's in reference to everything else that happened before, all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. And we've talked about covenantal relationships before. The word son there means, he, that is the inheritance component. So whoever gets to this place and has overcome has an inherited all things. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the whoremongers and the sorcerers and the idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death, because that has already happened at this time, which I keep reminding you, which is at that time and now. And there came to me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, meaning that that has passed and talked with me saying, come here, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, not Jerusalem today, the holy Jerusalem on the great mountain here. Descending out of heaven from Yahuwah, having the glory of Yahuwah and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone clear as crystal. It's full revelation of all of Zion as the wife, as a stone. <laughs> Keep going. 
and had a great and had a wall great and high and had 12 gates and at the gates 12 angels and names written thereon which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel and on the east three gates and on the north three gates and on the south three gates and on the west three gates. Let me pause here for the gates. When Moses established the camp back in Exodus and they were on the move, he was establishing the camp as a pattern of the things that were and would be, meaning this. Moses saw the holy city, the lamb's wife, and then arranged the camp as a type in similitude of the pattern of heaven. And the gates, because they're named after Israel, on the north, the south, the east, and the west, that is showing the entry points of coming into Zion was always and always will be through Israel, of which we are. So the gates is entry into heaven. It's the covenants made with Israel. And all those who adjoin to Israel's God. And that's why over and over again, he refers to himself as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Keep going. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And in them, the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So now we have foundations of this city. Now, wait a minute. The gates are literally Israel. And those are the entry points, which means the gates are made of people. The foundations are literally the 12 apostles. They're made of people. Zion is made of people. Now, the foundation, Paul talked about being a master builder and building foundations upon the cornerstone. So out of the whole city of Zion, it's all made of stones that is built on the stone, Yeshua Mashiach. The foundations of the apostles represent the truths that they were laying because an apostle is a messenger, one sent to establish and to build the body of Mashiach. Or, body is one description, or the Zion, the holy city of the Messiah. So when we think about ourselves as the temples, as living stones, we are, the, we are part of the foundation and the building components of Zion. That's why we are, our, A-R-A-R-E, Zion. So when Paul was looking at people, and going back to it, when Yeshua healed the blind man, what do you see? I see men as trees. When Paul was looking at people, he was seeing them as components of Zion. 
living stones that were being built up as the bride, as Zion. So within you, you have the kingdom of heaven, catch this, that is without death, without mourning, without tears, now. Not will be, that's true. Because it's not will be only, it's will be and is. So much so that 3,500 years ago, Moses saw this and built the camp encampment of the 12 tribes of Israel after the pattern of Revelation 21. Keep going. Revelation 21. <clears throat> Verse 15. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the walls thereof. Remember that we talked about just measures and weights. God is always into perfection and justice. Revelation 21, 16. And the city, us, lies four square, like a cube, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000, King James says, furlongs, and the length and the breadth and the height are equal. Now, if this was translated properly in measurement, in today's English, that would be 1,500 miles cubed. In the United States, in continental United States, that would be like the very, the very top in the north to the very south in one dimension. That would be like D.C. to maybe, Corey, you're in Nebraska. It's like Nebraska. And you say, okay, that doesn't seem very big if that's for all believers throughout 6,000 years. But now add that as a cube in height. <laughs> so now the dimensions are, they're so, they're enormous. They're enormous, they're enormous, they're enormous. Keep going. And he measured the wall thereof 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man that is of the angel. And the building of the wall was of jasper. So you have everybody's different stones fitting in different places within Zion. And the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. Gold itself actually has some dross within it when we look at it. And you know, I have it on my wedding ring and there's it's, it's a yellowish, but pure, pure gold with no flaws at all is clear. And the foundation of the wall of the city was garnished, listen, with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third um, Calgony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, and it keeps going all the way through 12 stones. Now, Daniel talked about last time in his study on Sunday night 
the 12 stones was on the breastplate. So now get ready for this. Zion is a priest. Which totally makes sense because we're priests. Which totally makes sense because we will be ministering to him for all eternity. So Zion itself made up of us, which are stones on the foundations of the, on the cornerstone, Yeshua. In, in bringing in all the people of all of the remnant through Israel is a priest unto God. And it is a priest that is more elevated than Satan ever was because he only had nine stones. God is putting, how can it be the 12 stones? Because that's the high priest stone because Yeshua is the foundation and the Yeshua is at the centerpiece as you'll see. So Yeshua through us is a high priest through us back to him. Like the father and the son are one, he is going to make us one with him as the holy city. Keep going. Revelation 21, 21. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Now, pearls is an interesting thing to think about the pearl. Why do they show pearls in there? What happens with an oyster when it has a blemish? A pearl is formed around it, which is us. We started off with the blemish, but now we are pearls. <laughs> so that's also part of the symbolism in there. And the street of the city was pure gold, as it were, transparent glass, like the sea of glass. And I saw no temple therein for Yahuwah El Shaddai, and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of sun, neither of the moon. To shine in it, for the glory of Yahweh did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. They have become one with us in the city as the city. There doesn't even need to be any outside light because the light is from within and He is the light. And the nations of them which are saved. So we've gone through now the last days. We've gone through now the millennial kingdom. Nations have been saved. So you start off with individuals, families, cities, nations now. Sheep nations have now come into Zion. Zion has called them forth. They have become one, and now they are there in the new Jerusalem, which is holy, perfect, complete Zion. Because even during the millennial kingdom, Zion is still going to be de being developed. All these sheep nations, as Dan calls them, are going to grow and mature and, and get to a place of holiness 
where at the end of the millennial kingdom, they will have entered completely into Zion, and they're no longer going to be even yellow gold. They will be pure see-through gold because all of the dross will be removed from nations. I was sharing this with Dan earlier this week. The Bible says that one will put a 1,000 to flight, two 10,000 to flight. Imagine a nation putting a billion to flight. Two nations in holiness, endless to flight. It's over. That's how big this is when he brings all of Zion together. Revelation 21, verse 25. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by, by day, for there shall be no night there. And I see this picture even down to the place of our own hearts, where we have to have walls, we have to have doors in our hearts to protect us from the enemy. Going back to the Garden of Eden, keep, tender it, and then also guard it, protect it. We won't have to do that anymore. The gates will be wide open. There's no enemy left. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations unto it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that is defiled, neither anything that works abomination or makes a lie. But they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's it. Revelation 22. I'm going to read the next five verses to conclude with the end of where we're going and where we are. I keep saying this because I want you guys to, to receive this. Where we are going is where we are. Revelation 22, verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of Yahuwah and of the Lamb. And in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was the tree of life, which bare twelve manners of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of Yahuwah and the Lamb shall be in it. And his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. In that day, today, we shall see his face. That's why Paul says, I see through glass darkly, but then face to face. So during the course of maturity and during the course of our walk, the glass that is dark is getting clearer and clearer and clearer and clearer. Verse 5, 22-5. And there shall be no more night there, and they need no candle, neither light of sun. For Yahuwah Elohim gives them light, 
and they shall reign forever and ever. That's where we're going. That's where we're at. Imagine the advance with God himself in it, with our hearts with no gates, only holiness and love flowing out, the river of life freely going in and out of us on a scale of 1,500 miles cubed. No crying, not in a, in a bad way. No more tears, no more pain, no more death. That's the glory of what he's placed inside of us, that we are the praise of his glory. Go back to Isaiah. So keep that in mind. Everything in Revelation 21 is where we're going and where we are. So think about that. When the Father looks at us through Yeshua, that's what he's seeing. He's seeing us as already being one. Not only with each other, but with him. Already complete as the building of the Lamb's wife. Isaiah 60. So I'm going to skip the rest of Isaiah 60, only for time reasons, because I want to get all of this thought in, into one session. Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, I'm going to read that, and then we're going to stop. And we're going to go deep into it. The spirit of Adonai, Yahuwah, real important. We're going to dig into why did he use Adonai there? Is upon me. Because Yahuwah has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison of those that are bound. To proclaim the acceptable years, and I say years plural, because that's what it is in the Hebrew, years plural, of Yahuwah, and the day of vengeance of our Elohim, to comfort all that mourn. I'm going to keep going, one more verse. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, To give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness. Remember we just read about trees in Revelation 21? The planting of Yahuwah that he might be glorified. So the reason that I started off in Revelation 21, and we read through a little bit of 22, is to set this in mind. 
who is the spirit of Yahuwah speaking to here in Isaiah 61? There's a hint in the beginning of verse 3 to those that mourn in Zion. So if Revelation 21 will be and is Holy Spirit is speaking to us who are in Zion today and were and will be. We are mourning for Zion. We are brokenhearted for Zion, in Zion. We are held captive in the spirit. We are held captive in prisons, pleading with our God for Revelation 21 to be made manifest. That's who he's speaking with. We think about Isaiah 61 as, oh, that's the lost that he's bringing in. Well, we were the lost. And since Zion will be and is, that means we were lost, we are lost, and in the future, like the last days, we're also in that position. But likewise, we were Zion, we are Zion, and we will be Zion. This is all at the same time. So what he's he's speaking to are us as Zion right now. I hear your mourning and your crying for what your heart is crying out for Zion to be, the Lamb's wife. It is coming to pass. And you are brokenhearted over it. You need to hear the good tidings of what will be and what is. And some of you have been held captive and in prison because of the enemy's desire not to have this happen. So let's put it in more context now. Luke chapter 4. We're going to keep going deeper into this. Luke chapter 4. We will break apart the verses, the first three verses of Isaiah 61, but we need to put it in even more context because this was spoken by Yeshua, and the context of it is really, really important. Luke chapter 3, we read one verse. 23, and Yeshua himself began to be about 30 years of age, being as he was supposed the son of Joseph, which is the son of Eli. Now, it's important to note that he was 30 years. Why was he 30 years? Because I'm not going to go through all the history of this, but in, in the Levitical priesthood, so he is fulfilling the Levitical priesthood um, as a priest, even though he's of the tribe of Judah. And then he is fulfilling it to reestablish a priesthood that already was, which is the priesthood of Melchizedek, king, righteousness, 
priestly king. And under the Levitical priesthood, you could only be a priest when you started at the age of 30. So there was a beginning of days. And then it ended when you were 50 years old. So there was an end of days. Likewise, you had to have the right mother, a Levi, and you had to have the right father, a Levi. And depending on the branch of the Levitical priesthood, in terms of being of the, after, the, after Levi, the three sons, um, Korath, uh, Merani, and I'm blanking on the third one right now, that gave you the designation of what your priestly functions were. So Yeshua comes in as of the tribe of Judah, but he's also of the tribe of Levi. And I think we've studied that before together. So he's coming in to fill both. So he comes on the scenes with John getting baptized by John, who is the legitimate high priest, legitimate Levitical high priest, to be the priest. That's what's happening all behind the scenes. All of this is happening. All this is happening. So now he comes into the synagogue in Luke chapter 4, verse 1. I'm sorry, I'll highlight this a little bit first. Luke chapter 4, verse 1 through verse 13. He's tempted by Satan. Now, why is he tempted as Satan? He is being tempted by Satan to see if he qualifies as priest. He's trying to find a blemish in the priest. He's also being allowed to be tempted by Satan to show that he is a perfect priest that is actually above the Levitical priesthood of men. Because the book of Hebrews says, that there needed to be another priesthood after the Levitical priesthood because the priesthood of Levi, they all died, representing they actually were men that were filled with sin. So this whole thing about why did Satan tempt Christ, it was about the priesthood to see if he qualified and did he need a sacrifice for himself? And what does Yeshua say? He found no place in me. Yeshua didn't need a sacrifice for himself. He needed a sacrifice for us. Was he qualified to intercede for the nation? So what happens is this whole temptation is about qualifying and examining Yeshua as the priest. And he goes through, all, there's all different kinds of layers on, on how, what, what he does, these three different temptations. And, but the point is, he is being set up as a greater priest even than John the Baptist. And that's why Yeshua said, there is no man greater of woman born until this time like John. Because he was the legitimate priest that's going to anoint the Melchizedek priest. But, he that is least in the kingdom of what we just read in Revelation 21 is now of me, and through them I am a Melchizedek priest. And that's what he's differentiating. Luke chapter 4, verse 23. 
I skipped a whole bunch. What am I doing? Luke chapter (laughs) 4, verse 14. And Yeshua returned in the power of the Spirit unto Galilee. For there went out of him fame throughout all the region. Um, Little side note on the Galilee piece. Why did he go to Galilee? Why did he come out of Galilee? Because when the northern kingdom was taken into captivity by Assyria, it wasn't taken into captivity all at once. Actually, the tribe of Naphtali in the north, which land included Galilee, was taken first. Then, almost 10 years later, the rest of the northern kingdom goes. So Yeshua is purposefully saying, I'm going to the beginning place of where Israel got broken, in Galilee. So he taught. So now we get to verse 16. Luke 4, 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. Praise God that we've been studying Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Isaiah 61 and part of 62. The spirit of Yahweh, Adonai, is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and the recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable years of Yahuwah. And he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say to them, This day, is the scripture fulfilled in your ears? And all bore witness to him and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? Isn't that, I read Luke 3.23 because supposedly he was Joseph's son because there's a reference to this about being priest. What are they talking about? And he said to them, you will say surely to me this uh, proverb, physician, heal yourself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do here also in your country. And he said, verily, verily, I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you of a truth. This is really weird. We need to dig in. Why is he saying these things? Why did he pick this out? Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three and a half years, when great famine was throughout all the land. But none of them was Elijah sent, except unto Sarepta, a city in Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. So Yeshua is referencing Elijah in just this one incident in Elijah. Then he reversed to Elisha. Verse 27, and many lepers were in lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them were cleansed, 
saving Naaman, the Syrian. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city, led him to the brow of a hill whereon their city was built, that they might cast him headlong. But he, passing through the midst, went his way. This is all around the context of Isaiah 61. So let's talk a little bit about this before we delve into Isaiah 61. So first of all, <clears throat> Luke 4, 23 and 24, physician, heal yourself. He is basically prophesying the suffering servant. So he speaks of the context of Isaiah 61, and knowing that this whole flow, like the study that we've been doing, at least from Isaiah 49 to Isaiah 66 is all one. It's probably more than what we even started at. He's saying that you need to have understand Isaiah 61 is also tied to Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. And at some point in time, you're going to say, physician, heal yourself. And I'm going to say no, because this is what I'm called to do. He's trying to explain to them the tie between Isaiah 61 and Isaiah 53 of the suffering servant. So there's an indication there. Now, why did Yeshua pick these examples? He just read Isaiah 61, and now he's talking about Elijah and Elisha kind of real quick. Why did he just throw that? He doesn't just throw stuff out there. Why did he do that? He's tying in Elijah and rain. There was a drought in the land, but then the rain's going to come. So what happens with the spirit of Elijah that's sent before Yeshua? Yeshua comes, and what happens afterwards? Acts chapter 2 in the form of rain. So he's getting them to set up, get ready. The rain's about to come, just like there was a drought in the land, tying around Elijah. And I haven't explained it to you yet, but John the Baptist has come in the spirit of Elijah, that there's going to then be a release of rain. He's tying all this together. And he's tying Elisha in this. And he's tying the incident of Elisha with leprosy. And leprosy is in reference to sin. It's always representative of sin. And the purging of sin on the seventh time of the dipping of Naaman in the Jordan River. So seven times there's going to be a purge. He goes into the river. And on the seventh time, he is made well. The second coming of the spirit of Elijah will be for his second return. And when that comes, there will be holiness in the land during the millennial kingdom. And there will also be an entry back into the land, representative Naaman saying, how come I have to be baptized or purged by leprosy in the Jordan when there's better rivers in Syria? No, the Jordan is representative of the crossing into the land. So Yeshua is indicating a whole bunch of things here regarding the spirit of Elijah the first time, the spirit of Elijah coming the second time, that there's going to be a former rain 
in the first time, there's going to be a complete purge of sin or leprosy in the seventh millennial, the seventh time, and there'll be entry back into the land. He's saying all of this, because all of this is tied to Isaiah. So all of this is in, in that kind of context. Now, why did they throw him out when they were realizing this? Because they knew the scriptures that back to Isaiah 61, who's going to redeem Zion but Yahuwah himself? And we read this in Isaiah 59, 20. So he declared, and this is so, <laughs> this is the importance of us and the importance of Zion. His first declaration in the synagogue where they wanted to kill him was him saying, I am the redeemer of Zion. Because that's the context of Isaiah 61. I am come to redeem Zion, so therefore they threw him out. That gives us the mentality of why after his resurrection that the disciples say, is now the time you're going to restore the kingdom? It wasn't just the nation of Israel to be a nation in the physical. It was all of this. Are you going to bring Zion onto earth now? Because that's what we've been hoping for. That's why they threw you out of the synagogue and tried to stone you to death when you read Isaiah 61. Because you were supposed to redeem Zion. This is also why, going back to Isaiah 49, 14, why Zion cries out and says, what about me? When are you going to redeem me? So all of this is what Yeshua is coming to say. That's the background. I want to tie a little bit more priesthood into what he's saying here in this context. So a little bit more background on Israel, Galilee, Judah, in terms of the priesthood. And this is all a setup so we can now pick apart Isaiah 61 some more. In 2 Kings chapters 15 through 17, I'm not going to read through this. This is where Israel, the northern kingdom, gets taken captive. What was Israel's sin? repeatedly remembered or reminded of them that caused them to split into two nations and then be taken away captive. It was the sin of King Rehoboam. So what is that King Rehoboam's sin? He was in the northern kingdom that did not have Judah, did not have Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is situated in Judah. That's where the temple is. And he said, you know, I don't want the northern kingdom people to always have to go to the southern kingdom, Judah, to go worship three times a year like we're supposed to in the law. I got an idea. I'm going to set up two temples at Bethel and Dan, and they're going to worship here. Of course, he wasn't supposed to do that. And to make matters worse, he put false gods in there. So now you have the corruption of Israel and the priesthood. The heart of everything is the first commandment, to love Yahweh with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, and all of our strength. So when there is idolatry there, 
That's what happened with Israel from the beginning. So that's there. Now, Naphtali eventually gets then taken in 2 Kings 15, which part of the land, I said, was Galilee. That was really an opportunity, kind of the last straw. Israel, 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 please repent. You're about to totally go and be scattered into the earth and taken into captivity. So I'm going to take Naphtali first. Last chance, repent. They didn't. So while this is happening, now you got Judah. And Judah's watching their brother Israel go astray, taken captivity. The king of Judah, Ahaz with a Z, decides to ask the king of Assyria, who just took Naphtali into captivity, you know what? Can you come and help me fight against Syria? So the Assyrian king, fight against Syria on my behalf, and fight against my brother Israel. So this happens. And the king of Assyria just comes, blast, blast Syria. Well, King Ahaz of Judah is observing this. And he's in Syria observing the Assyrian king beat the Syrian king. And he says, wow, Syria has an awesome temple. Now, they're worshiping false gods. They have an awesome temple. I'm going to hire a priest, a Levitical priest in Judah to make a replica of the altar that is in Syria and bring it into Jerusalem. So Judah's response to Israel being taken captive, and why were they taken captive? Because the priesthood was corrupt. Now Judah, which already has corruption in the temple, and every once in a while, because of Solomon, every once in a while afterwards, there would be a good king like Hezekiah or Josiah that would come and clean out the temple, get rid of all the garbage. But it kept coming back in. So now you have King Ahaz that permanently makes an altar after the likeness of a false deity in Syria into Jerusalem. So all of this I'm saying is a background because this is the corruption of Israel. It was always, always, always around the priesthood. And you're going to see how this ties together. So what happens with Judah, for example? They get taken captive. And guess who's captive? Not only Judah, but the priests in particular. Ezekiel is hanging out at the river Shabar with the priests. He's in captivity. So Satan wanted to corrupt the priesthood of Israel, corrupt the priesthood of Judah, and take them captive. And the priests that remained loyal to Yahuwah mourned and were brokenhearted. They were held captive. They were in prison. Fast forward to the time of Yeshua. The 200 years leading up to Yeshua, the priesthood is held captive. They're gone. They've been kicked out. 
you now have Edomite priests acting as Levitical priests, which are not. The remnant, the Zadokite priests, they're in the Dead Sea caves. They're mourning, waiting for Malkitzedek, the high priest, to come. They're brokenhearted, seeing Israel is just a mess. It's gone. It's scattered. There's no priesthood. The temple's corrupt. Nothing is. They're captive. They're in prisons. So literally, the priesthood of Zion went through all of this activity because in the natural, it also happened in the spirit first. So the reason that I'm setting this up to you guys is when we think about Isaiah 61 and that the spirit of Adonai, Yahuwah, is upon me to preach the good news to the meek priests, to the brokenhearted priests, to the priests that are held captives, to the priests that are bound in prison. That's what he's speaking of. And the priesthood, if we think about Zion itself, then in the future, which actually is now, is a city that is a priest. It's a collection of priests. And as a collection of priests, it is a priest with 12 stones. So the whole point is, Yeshua comes as the Redeemer priest to redeem the priests. And that's why he speaks this in the synagogue. And he ties it to the spirit of Elijah for his first coming and for his second coming. That's all the setup. Back to Isaiah 61. Now let's pick this apart some more. It's really different now reading Isaiah 61. So the spirit of Adonai Yahuwah is upon me. Let's stop there. Adonai Yahuwah, the first mention, Genesis 15.2. Genesis 15.2. And Abram said, Adonai Yahweh, first mention of Adonai. What will you give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. What was Zion's cry? I am a barren woman. I am childless. So Adonai comes to Abram and says, no, Abram, I'm going to produce offspring through you. The spirit of Adonai comes to Zion and says, no, Zion, I'm going to produce offspring through you. Adonai is Aleph, Dalit, Yud. I'm sorry, Aleph, Dalit, Nun, Yud. Which means strength moves through the air in his work. So the air is the seed. It is about offspring. So the strength of Yahuwah moves through the offspring and all of its work. 
are all of his work. It's a beautiful picture of Yeshua birthing through Zion offspring. Catch this. Yeshua, the bridegroom, Zion, the bride, producing offspring. You seeing this? Abraham, I have no seed that's going to inherit. So Adonai shows up. Zion cries out, I have no seed. So Yeshua shows up. Adonai shows up. And working, remember, because I said the city is us. Yeshua is in the middle of us, which means Yeshua's seed is through us and with us and in us, which means he had offspring with Zion to produce us. Adonai. Adonai. That's Adonai. Incredible picture of Yeshua as the producer of the seed and the offspring. It's us. And he's produced, he's saying, I am publishing, back to Isaiah 61, I'm publishing good tidings. I'm writing it down so that you get locked into the vision, locked into the goal, locked into where you're going because that is who you are. So Abraham, don't worry about not having seed now because you already have seed. It hasn't manifested yet on the earth, but it already is. And it's through Adonai. And hence, now think about this. So Abraham is looking for a city made without hands. So it says in the Hebrews 11. He's looking for the bride that's going to have the offspring that are his. See, he's not even seeing now it's just going to be me and Sarah having the offspring being Isaac. It's going to be me as Zion with Yeshua, the bridegroom, is having offspring. And that's the city made without hands. Abraham was seeing Revelation 21 even back in the day. He's given revelation of that. Who's looking for it on earth? <laughs> Meek, Isaiah 61, verse 1, to preach good tidings to the meek. Ah, I love this verse. First mention of meek, Numbers. Numbers, Numbers, Numbers. Numbers chapter 12. This also ties to leprosy because this is where Moses, uh, sister Miriam and brother Aaron come against him. Yeah, you know, God, Moses is good, but what about us? We could be just as good, maybe a little bit better. So they're coming against Moses. So Numbers chapter 12, so that's the setup. Verse 3. Now the man, Moses, was very meek. Above all the men which are on the face of the earth. That word meek is humble. And it's always in reference, thinking about humble. It is a bowed man before Yahweh. We're going to see this more now as we jump ahead in Numbers 12. 
But Moses was the most meek, the most humble. So the word, does, the spirit of Adonai is upon me to preach good news, publications of the vision to the humble. Like Moses. Jump ahead to verse 6. Numbers 12, verse 6. Now he's talking to Miriam and to Aaron. And he said, hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, Yahuwah, will make myself known to him in a vision and will speak to him in a dream. Verse 7. My servant Moses is not so who is faithful in all my house. House, Zion. He's faithful in all of Zion. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches. And the similitude of Yahuwah shall he behold. Wherefore, then, are you not afraid to speak against my servant, Moses? Yahuwah is saying, prophets, I speak to in dreams and visions. But Moses, who's the meekest, most humblest person on the earth, mouth to mouth, face to face. So I, I love the gift of Yeshua to the body of Christ, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, pastors, and teach, teachers. But the function of a prophet is not as great as the person's character who is meek and humble. Now, a prophet can be meek and humble, but the function of a prophet is not as great as the character trait of someone who is meek and humble. Because that person he will speak to mouth to mouth, face to face. That's a priest. And we've gone through the definition of Zadik, Zadik, the righteous. It is a humble person bowing down. That's the makeup of priests. That's why Yeshua quoted Psalms in Matthew 5, 5 and said, it's the meek that will inherit the earth. It's the meek that will be called priests. We'll get to this in Isaiah 61, 6. They are the priests, the meek, the humble. They're the ones that are going to rule over the earth in the millennial kingdom. And then they will also be the priesthood of Zion, which is a priest in eternity. That's why the priests, the meek, the humble inherit the earth. Because they are the most righteous. Zadik. A humble man bowing down. 
broken. <clears throat> broken. So a broken vessel, uh, Leviticus. And I don't want you to go there. I'll just reference Leviticus 6.28. Talks about sacrifices and earthen vessels. And part of the, the, Levitic, the purpose of the Levitical priesthood being imposed upon Israel, because it was imposed, it was not agreed upon. We've gone through that before. It was imposed. They did not want it. They didn't sign up for it. They got it because of the golden calf sin. Was to show them that there was no sacrifice that was ever acceptable. It was only temporary. Because sacrifices had flaws in them. There was damage in them. That's why they were always inspecting the land. They were inspecting the red heifer. They were inspecting all these sacrifices to bring something broken, scarred, or damaged was an abomination. It wasn't acceptable. But the brokenhearted, it comes from the same word as, as a broken or a scarred sacrifice. Now is the same word that we see in Isaiah 61, where now the humble are the scarred, damaged, sacrifices and he's speaking to them that's us because now with the sacrifice of Yeshua which is perfect our broken our scarred our damaged sacrifices of which we are present your bodies as living sacrifices are now accepted and who presents sacrifices priests so you got both the meek and you have the sacrifices, the people bringing sacrifices. They need to hear the good news. So Adonai comes as the offspring giver and says, I accept your broken, damaged sacrifice because you are Zadik, you are humble, you are meek. And I will come to you face to face. That's what he's saying in Isaiah 61. One. There's more. The brokenheartedness also, going back to the doors and the gates, because that's what also ties back to Revelation 21, is that it's a picture of our heart stores. Our heart stores, because we, our Zion, want to be open. We want to be totally open. We want to be open with God. We want to be open with everyone. That is how we were made to be. May the 12 gates of Zion be open continuously because there is never night. There is never an attack. We have doors and windows and walls in our heart, though, because the enemy is coming against us and we have to protect it. So our doors and our gates to our hearts have become damaged. They've been spray painted upon. They've been broken. 
People have climbed over them. They've smashed the windows. And what Yeshua is saying is you have endured a great assault, but the brokenhearted, I'm also here to reset the priesthood, to reset your priesthood, to give you the vision that there will be a day when your hearts desire to be open. I will take care of the enemy in that day that you can be free and open. So not only will you see me not through a a glass darkly, but face to face, mouth to mouth, but you're going to see my heart take away any need for a gate or a window into your heart. You won't be fearful anymore. This is also what Adonai is saying. And that's why in Isaiah 59, 16 that we read, that Yeshua looks down and he sees no man. No man that is a Malchizedek priest, no man that is a Levitical priest can pull this off. So he does it himself. That's why he has to come in the day of vengeance. And he comes as a priest. The first thing that he puts on is the breastplate of righteousness. We talked about that. Back to Isaiah 61. Um, Liberty. I want to pick on the word liberty a little bit. I do want to jump to the phrase of where liberty comes from. Leviticus 25. Leviticus 25. Um, I remember the first time that that I met Dan in person and we spoke spirit to spirit. And I remember him asking me, so what do you do in the spirit? And his spirit's talking to my spirit. And I said, I build multi-ministry realms. That was my expression to say, I'm part of the architect committee that builds Zion. And I've known for years that Isaiah 61 was, was on my scroll. And he said, well, are you doing it now? I said, yes, but really no. What do you mean no? Well, I have things locked up because it's not time yet. What do you mean things aren't time yet? Because I'm, I'm supposed to be building and connecting one realm of a person with another realm of a person. One ministry realm, this is prophetic. Um, back then I'm seeing this. Uh, one ministry realm or one body with another body, but I can't do it yet because there would be too much friendly fire. Meaning the gates that people want to open up to one another, would, they would actually be arrows coming out of their gates because of the brokenness in their hearts to damage another person who was trying to be open to them. And that's also why we have doors and gates and windows, even with each other who love Yeshua and love one another, is because 
of our damage, we actually, if we open the doors, boom, arrows are going to fly out at each other. I said, Dan, I can't do that. And in that discussion, we prayed, and Yahweh said, yes, begin. And I don't know, that was like six years ago. Because to join someone's realm and join someone's heart in transparency, no walls, no gates, requires holiness. So in Leviticus 25, verse 10, that's the setup to this. Here's the liberty piece. Leviticus 25, verse 10. And you shall hallow the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land unto all of the inhabitants thereof, and it shall be a jubilee to you. And you shall return every man into the possession into his possession, and you shall return every man into his family. So part of the proclamation of Adonai is to preach good news, the vision to the humble, to the priest, to bind up the brokenhearted, to say your sacrifice is now accepted, and to proclaim jubilee to all the priests that have lost their possession, lost their position, and saying we're resetting it to the way I originally wanted you to be. And the way you are going to be in the future and are today. Heaven and earth are misaligned. The priesthood needs a jubilee on earth to be reset to where it is and where it will be. Are you guys getting the magnitude of Isaiah 61-1 now? That's the liberty. That's the binding of the brokenhearted. The sacrifices are now acceptable. It's the encouragement of the humble that they will inherit the earth. Isaiah 61, verse 2. Here's the patience of our God. To proclaim the acceptable Years is what it says in the Hebrew, plural, of Yahuwah, and the day of vengeance of our Elohim. The patience of our God is that years and eras are going to go by that are going to be acceptable in preparation and after the spirit of Elijah comes the first time. Right away. The apostle said, he's here. He's come. His return is near. The apostle John finishes the book of Revelation. His return is near. It's part of the acceptable years of our God. And I'm going to get into this at the advance. The spirit of Elijah coming a second time. That is the preparation of the day, 
the one day, the day of vengeance of our God. Patience, patience, patience for years. And then finally, okay, judgment on a day. Spirit of Elijah is going to bring the rain. Spirit of Elijah is going to cleanse the sin of leprosy and cross into the Jordan in a day. That's what he's speaking of. This is what Zion is crying out for and saying, what about me? This is why in Revelation 19.2, when all of the judgment has taken place, Revelation 19.2, of course, before Revelation 21, so in the context of this, the priesthood, the meek, the brokenhearted, the captives of the priesthood, all of the priests, the, the remnant, they're going to say in Revelation 19.2, for true and righteous are your judgments. For he has judged the great whore, which did, and what's the great whore? The city of Babylon, which is against the anti, the city of Zion. That's how big this is. It's all about that. Which did corrupt the earth, because the earth was supposed to be inherited by the meek. The earth was supposed to have daughters of Zion populated through it. Instead, it has daughters of Babylon populated through it and daughters of Jerusalem, not New Jerusalem, not Holy Jerusalem, Jerusalem birthed by Solomon. You have judged and did corrupt the earth with her fornication, fornication, that's all the idolatry, all the false idols, and has avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again, they said, Hallelujah. Praise be to Yah. And her smoke rose up forever and ever. So the priesthood is going to be in agreement on the day of vengeance. And this is why he comes as the priest. He puts on the helmet because he is the commander of hosts. And he comes with vengeance and zeal. Because the second time is the day of vengeance. And the priesthood will be set because the spirit of Elijah will be coming ahead of that day to prepare his people for judgment. That's why he had to stop in the reading in Luke 4 and not say that because they couldn't grasp a hold of the suffering servant and the years of the acceptable time of Yahuwah. I didn't get to verse 3, Isaiah 61.3, but let's stop there. I think that's a good place to stop. And we'll keep going next time. Heavenly Father, we thank you for not only creating us in your image, but creating us to be with you, that all things that were created for you, us, by you, us, through you, us, will be one. So may we decrease in you, increase in us. 
May the part of us that is in agreement with the enemy decrease and the part of us that is in agreement with you increase and make us whole. We ask that our being that is not in touch with you, that is, is fighting against you, that has false idols in you, repent and turn to the living God who loves us so much. For you said that the physician will make us whole, spirit, soul, and body. Because our design is to have gates that are open. Our design is to have you dwelling in us, that when we lean upon you coming over the hills, we're leaning upon you, and no one can tell the difference of which one is which. Father, I bless everyone here and encourage them with these words that you have written for our encouragement, that this is and this will be. As much of a truth as revelation will be, it also is a truth today. So I declare unto all of the spirits of everyone listening, live and in the podcast, that you are living stones in the city of Zion, that the glory and the light of Yahuwah shines through you, and that you are his meek. You are the brokenhearted that have acceptable sacrifices. You have been released from captivity and from prison so that you can come and worship as a Zadokite priest, a Zadik bowing down in humility. And that we would be one. For there is one baptism. There is one body. There is one faith. And there is one Adonai. We thank you for giving us the office of priesthood. And we adore and love the great high priest, the author and finisher of our faith, Yeshua Mashiach. In his name, amen. You've just listened to Todd Talks here at Bride Ministries International. Be sure to visit our website at bridemovement.com. You can support us by leaving a donation. You can also check out our other offerings, such as our church. You can check out our institute. We offer prayer resources and, of course, so much more.